Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to just need to remember that because I'm going to do something a, a little different now. It's in, in the Church of England, it's traditional to welcome a new baby into the chapel. Natalie and Andrew, I just want to welcome you uh, in. And um, Andrew, do you want to quick come out? Just, uh, just quick say hello. And uh, are you able to bring the baby with you? Yeah. So I just want to congratulate you both, and, uh, um, and your baby is called? Kieran. Kieran, and uh, when, uh, what was the actual birth date? Uh, July 25th. July 25th. Well, I want to congratulate you and the whole family, and it is so wonderful to have you here, and what a, a fantastic thing to happen to our community. Round of applause, please, for Kieran. Thank you very much indeed. And of course, uh, lovely to have um, Adeline there with us as well. So I hope you remember that reading, because we're going to uh, refer to it. I'd like to thank uh, Greg very much uh, for his talk um, last week. And like always, um, Greg brought up something which I thought was uh, really interesting. He was saying that the value in a, me- in a message, something like this, is 10% the content... the presentation, and 80% the inner life that's behind the delivery. 10% the content, 10% uh, the presentation, 80% the inner life behind the delivery. And that put in mind the question of what it is we manifest in our lives. It made me think about that. Bede Griffiths, in a talk he gave as part of the John Main Seminar in New Harmony, Indiana in 1991, said that all we manifest out there is actually a reflection of everything in here. I put that talk on the front page of the website. You, just go, you can go on the front page and click on it. It's about an hour long if you're interested. Very interesting to hear B. Griffiths talking. He talked in 1991, this is, but he's He's such a father of contemplative work. So if you're interested in hearing him, he said, all that we manifest out there is actually a reflection of all that's in here. And that seems to me just to back up Greg's point. In that reading today that Diane brought us, it's making the same point about the teachers of the law. Jesus makes that point about the teachers of the law in his day. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. He's making the point that whatever the teachers are saying, it comes from a place that's unclean. And whereas they're presenting themselves as righteous, in fact, it's merely an act. Their whole appearance is one constructed to deceive, to persuade those to whom they talk that their words are true when in fact they're just doing it all for their own ends. And of course, that's difficult for all of us trying to make a difference, trying to make this world a better place? Are we doing it for our own ends or or are we being truly altruistic? 
No one's perfect. Actually, Jesus isn't berating the teachers of the law for their imperfections here. He's berating them for the fact that they pretend to be perfect. They're painting over their imperfections so that they come across whiter than white, when in fact the reality within is very different. So the first thing I'm wanting to say about how we manifest ourselves in the world is that none of us is perfect and that we shouldn't try to pretend to be. Because to pretend to be perfect means that everything starts with a lie and we'll get nowhere from there. And you know, it's okay not to be perfect because what is that perfection? But conforming to some idealized, fabricated reality constructed by a mind, be it our mind or somebody else's mind, the idea that some things are perfect and others are not, you know, doesn't make sense. It's, this is comparing ourselves with others, and it puts us in error straight away because, wait for it, everything is perfect. Everything is equally perfect. What is, is what is. And it cannot be anything else but what it is. There is nothing that is manifest that's not perfect. How do you get to that? Well, it's interesting that the word perfect comes from two Latin words. Per, which means completely and facere, which means to do, per facere, perfect. So to be perfect is actually to do completely. To be perfect is to be complete. It is an expression of completeness. Complete with good and bad. Jesus' criticisms of the scribes and Pharisees is that their presentation of themselves is incomplete. They pretend only to be good, when of course that's impossible. There is no good or bad way to be. We just have to be honest with ourselves in the way that we are when we're presenting ourselves to the world. Jesus was like that. He displayed anger when he drove the money changers out of the temple. He, you know, he even made a whip out of cords to do it. I'm sure nowadays uh, the police would be called if something happened like that. And his accusation in the reading that we heard is incredibly angry. We know he cried at least twice over Lazarus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He showed fear there too. So Jesus didn't try to hide his negative emotions. He gave himself to us completely, that is, perfectly. This is the beginning of a series that I'm doing on manifesting, how we manifest ourselves and what manifests in the world around us. It's, it's quite a current word. My daughter Jessica is always saying that I should manifest this or that in my life, as in, Dad, why don't you manifest a new car for us? <laughs> it, seemed that, it seems there is a way of making it happen, or at least so she's been told on TikTok. I suspect that it all comes from the law of attraction, 
Uh, you know, most of you know about that based on the idea uh, that people and their thoughts are made of pure energy. And that process of like energy attracting like energy exists. And through this, one can improve one's health and wealth and personal relationships and maybe get a new car. Books like The Secret put that view across. But, but does it have any validity? Well, the idea of manifestation, you know, with that idea of manifestation, we, we definitely have to start with ourselves. Greg's point of a message being dependent on the beingness of the deliverer. And we can begin with the idea that there is no perfect way to be. All of us have good and bad, yin and yang within us. We are all complete and perfect in our own way. The first most basic mistake is try to try and present ourselves as other than who we truly are. And that's quite an issue in a world where appearance is everything, where personally and even corporately and politically, the optics are everything. You know, politicians will say that Afghanistan is a disaster. And the optics, what it shows about those who are in charge, are even worse. The fact that this mess is all being seen by the world. People are very concerned about the optics of it. And in our personal lives, it's the same. We want to come across well. Our appearance is important to us. You know, the kids are starting school this week, and Jessica says, I, I did tell Jessica I was going to be doing the service today, so not to worry about it. I'm not too sure. I did tell her what I was going to say. Jessica, you know, she was talking about starting school. She said she's not nervous about the work. She's not nervous about succeeding or failing, but she is nervous. She's nervous about how she's going to come across. She's nervous about whether she's got the right clothes to wear, the brands, and whether or not people will consider her to be cool. That, that's what mostly she is nervous about. And that sort of peer pressure is all around us, especially here in the Valley. Money, wealth, possessions, property, age, beauty, health, body image, we all try to manifest them as best we can. Or should I say we try to manufacture an image of what we're manifesting. We say, this is me, rich, healthy, knowing, capable, independent, powerful, influential, connected, and artistic. We construct our own whited sepulchres that we can display to the world as evidence that we are all those things, which of course we're not. Peel off the mask we present to the world and we have a very different picture of what's going on. It is an obfuscation of what's really going on that Jesus is accusing the scribes and Pharisees of. And of course, this is the very idea of the false self that Thomas Merton speaks about in his book, New Seeds of Contemplation. He says, every one of us has an illusory or false self. This is the man or woman that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God knows nothing about him. 
and to be unknown to God is altogether too much privacy. My false, my private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love and outside the reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. He says, we're not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves, the ones we are born with and which feed the roots of sin. For most people in the world, there is no greater subjective reality than their false self, which cannot exist. A life devoted to the cult of the shadow is called a life of sin. All sin starts with the assumption that my false self, the self that exists only in my own egocentric desires, is the fundamental reality to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus, I use up my life in the desires for pleasure and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and love, to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something real. And I wind experiences around myself and I cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to myself and to the world as if I were an invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. But there is no substance under the things which I am clothed. I am hollow and my structure of pleasures and ambitions has no foundation. I am objectified by them, but they are destined by their very contingency to be destroyed. And when they are gone, there'll be nothing left of me but my own nakedness and emptiness and hollowness to tell me that I am my own mistake. Jesus berated the scribes and Pharisees for portraying this false self of reality when in fact their truth was very different. And of course, for priests and pastors, this is particularly relevant because we are particularly susceptible to this sort of thing. We're supposed to represent the good and the best in life, which is why when we fall from grace, it makes an extremely loud noise indeed. Whereas the reality is that all of us are made of the same human material, good and bad, yin and yang, light and dark. And there is a great pressure amongst us to try and come across as some sort of Jesus or Buddha, you know, who can do no wrong. And the fact, the truth is very different. You know, in fact, part of the reason that many of us go into ministry is a as a response to the flaws that we detect in our lives. Many ministers go into ministry as a personal response to the flaws that they detect in their lives. I went on my own spiritual journey as a response to the lack of love that I felt in my own life. I went away to school very young, and uh, as a result, I got bullied. And I cried so much during that time that I decided that all I could do was to, to shut down my emotions. They were just too painful to go through every time that I felt pain. So I stopped myself feeling. In fact, I haven't cried since I was 13. Well, it's not strictly true. I, I did shed a tear watching E.T. And I think, and, 
I think another one at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. But generally, I'm not a crier. And that, that cutoff from my emotional life left me growing from the age of 13 in a bit of a hybrid way. I found it difficult to make relationships and was left feeling bereft of love. And then I saw spirituality as an answer to that. And, you know, indeed it was. I was able to connect with love in a different and new way. And being filled with that different uh, love, I finally met Heather, who taught me to love in a very human way. And reader, I married her. But I'm still left with the scars of that earlier life. I'm not as sensitive as I might be, and I can be intense and very definite about things. But that's just me. I've grown up like that. It doesn't make me any more or less perfect or incomplete. It's just how I am. And so long as I don't try to pretend to be otherwise, then I'm just manifesting from a place of truth. And that's where we all have to begin, manifesting from a place of truth. It doesn't mean we have to get it all right or do what others think is perfect. In other words, we don't have to play to the gallery. It's to be honest about who we are and to understand a bit about how we became that way. That's the beginning. In fact, you know, we have to go through the 12 steps of AA. Richard Raw says that AA is the religion that the United States has contributed to the world of religions. It's their major contribution. He sees the 12 steps um, as really a way of living. And I think it's always worth looking at. I mean, if you look at this idea of manifesting ourselves in a way that's honest, the 12 steps enables us to do that. Um, the first step is to admit you're powerless uh, over alcohol, but just as much relates to all of us. You know, if we admit we're powerless over, over who we are, that our lives are unmanageable in one way. We have to admit that, you know, we're not in control. And then we have to come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. You know, that's our journey to do that here. We have to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him or her. That's step three. And we have to do that. To make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Well, yeah. To admit to ourselves and to other human beings the exact nature of our wrongs. Well, that's worth doing. We have to be entirely ready to have that higher power remove those defects from our character, to humbly ask him to remove those shortcomings, to make a list of all the people we've harmed and become willing to make amends to them all, make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure others, and to continue to take a personal inventory when we're wrong and admit it and to seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him or her, praying only for knowledge of his or her will for us and the power to carry out. And having had finally a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carried this message to others and practice the principles in all our affairs. 
Do you know, I think that's pretty relevant. It's worth looking at. If we want to manifest ourselves with integrity, those are the steps all of us have to take. And I know that many of us here and watching online are in the process of doing that. We are all a work in process, as is our community, as is our world, as is the whole universe. It says in Romans, we know that the whole of creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And that's all of us. And our role is to encourage each other in that process without judgment. Wayne Teasdale, who was uh, Thomas Keating's pupil, said, we can only judge others, ju- we can only judge others if we fulfill two conditions. One, that we know the other's heart totally, and two, that we love them unconditionally. Then he goes on to say, only God can meet these two conditions, therefore only God can judge, he says. So our role is not to judge others, but to strive to be who we are and tell the truth about that rather than hide the bits that we'd rather others didn't know about. In manifesting, we begin with the truth of who we are. And next week, we'll look at how that relates to uh, connecting with what's around us in the world. Um, I'll put a microphone here, so we just have a little bit of a chat now. And if anyone wants to join in, just walk up to the microphone uh, and I, I will come to you. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking, do you know, one of the things about being true to who we are is, is it makes us vulnerable. And in making us vulnerable, it does give others an opportunity to come in and help us. But, you know, but if we present ourselves as being, you know, there's white and stuff, because there's no way people can get in at all. But, you know, that, that vulnerability, I think, enables people to come in and help. Yeah, that's true. You have to be near the microphone, by the way. Oh, sure. Yes, yes. Um, that is true. And uh, if you are vulnerable and if you are yourself, yeah. then everything is going to work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. And if you're not, you're just going to go down the wrong path. And uh, it takes courage to be vulnerable and it takes courage to be yourself and to be who you really are. I was thinking about my son and raising my son and my daughter maybe because I'm a little bit older, that uh, my goal for them wasn't to be a doctor or a baseball player or a musician. I just wanted them to be you know, comfortable in their own skin and have the courage to be who they genuinely are. Yeah. And that was my gift to them. And I hope they feel more comfortable than I did as a kid. <laughs> John, yes. You take your mask off while you talk, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to say that... Uh, I most of the time I'm watching this at home online, um, but one of the things you do in the chapel uh, is you, you talk about the folks that are struggling and, and having difficulty. And as a person who is on that list, uh, I just want you all to know that it improves our spirit more than you might realize. So I wanted to thank you all for that very much. John, thank you. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Anybody else want to want to say anything at all?
I love that thing when you were saying that, you know, oh, yes, do come forward, do come forward. Yes, yes, fantastic. Sandy, do come forward, yeah. I'm not a public speaker, and I really don't like coming forward. But um, my heart is very heavy about Haiti right now. Haiti, yeah. Um, my son has gone there several times in a mission-type work. He works with an organization. The, the man was a mathematician. He went there. He then became a priest, and he said, I can't help them as a priest. He then became a doctor. He's been there 30 years. He has two hospitals, two clinics. He has orf two orphanages, educates thousands of kids a year, and they are in deep trouble with between the earthquake that they've just had and the hurricane that came through. They don't have roofs on their homes. It's called St. Luke's Haiti.org. If anybody wants to go there and read their mission and... I do know people that are going there. So, and that's your son who runs that. No, no, he just goes and volunteers. He, he has volunteers. not been able to go for a couple of years because they have, the political unrest. They have not been able to protect them. Yeah, you know, and then they had the assassination. Of, so, they, you know, they have they need a lot of prayers and any other support that we can possibly give them. Well, Sandy, if you email me that email address, I will put it on the front page of the website tomorrow. Um, so people can actually do that. And, you know, we just might just take a few moments just to, just to think right now about Haiti. Just those people without homes, leadership gone, no help at all. Particularly we pray for this church. We open our hearts to them. I pray your blessing upon them as well. Amen. Sandy, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. Anybody else like to say anything at all? I just love that thing when you said about, you know, if you follow the path, it's going to be all right. I love that phrase that I always used to use it, which is, a, uh, you know, all things be well and all manner of things will be well um, in the end. And if it's not well, then it's not the end. And I, I think the idea that one carries that through yeah. uh, is so important. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.